you got to be viable. You have to be able to take the risk, right? Because really, it's a question of risk tolerance, number one, and then suitability to take that risk. So you might have a high degree of tolerance to take risk, but then we look at all the other factors and we say, Larry, you are not suitable to be self-insured. That's part of what you rely on your advisor to do is to be honest with you about where you are and then say, it's not time to move yet. But in fact, sometimes it does happen where we guess wrong or you guess wrong or you hire somebody we didn't expect you to hire somebody who's got significant health issues. You don't know because that's not how people hire, nor should they. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Mark Gagne, principal at Boris Lowe Insurance and the founder of Captivated Health. Mark is an employee benefits advisor with over three decades of experience. His tireless passion for the industry can be seen by the way he advocates for transparency, consumerism, health, and well-being. He is a pioneer in the use of consumer-driven health and wellness plans to lower health care costs and improve overall health. Mark was named as a national top 30 benefits advisor to watch in 2017 by Employee Benefit News. And in 2014, Employee Benefit Advisor awarded him with the Most Innovative Broker of the Year. Mark is a member of the Board of Directors for the Massachusetts Health Connector and a member of the Board of Trustees for the National Association of Health Underwriters. He earned his GBA from Wharton and is certified in the ACA and self-funding by NAHU. Listen in for some great takeaways about founding a company in healthcare and where the industry is heading. Mark is on the forefront of what is taking place in the industry and talks about what we can expect in the future. Hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the awesome pleasure of being with Mark Gagne, principal at Boris Lowe Insurance and the founder of Captivated Health. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you being on your show. Yeah, thanks for joining us and taking out the time. Listen, I want to give our listeners a sense of who you are, what you do, and can you tell us about your path to founding Captivated Health? How did you get here and why did you start it? Sure. Maybe I can go back to the very beginning of my career and I won't make it too long of a story. But okay. I grew up in a family of healthcare providers. Mom was a nurse, dad was a physical therapist, but they were entrepreneurial healthcare providers. So uh, they really introduced me to the business of healthcare. I'm not scientifically inclined. I'm more numerically and business inclined, but I love the business of healthcare. So fast forward the tape, I worked with my folks when I got out of college. I helped them sell their company and retire. I then went to work for a couple of insurance companies, uh, learning how they run themselves, and then ultimately crossed over about 17 years ago and joined forces with my now business partner, Jennifer Borslow, the founder of Borslow Insurance. She and I have built an organization with about 70 people, and part of the market that we serve is the middle market for companies that have 50 to 500, 50 to 1,000 employees. And what we did is we had three large purchasing groups, one in New Hampshire, one in Maine, and one in Massachusetts, who were interested in combining their forces, if you will. But because of insurance laws, they really didn't have the ability to do that. 
So yours truly went to work on trying to figure out there must be some kind of structure out there that would allow these groups to come together and share their collective size and scale. And we found what's called a captive insurance arrangement, which is a partially self-insured arrangement and allows these groups that are unrelated to actually come together. They take the risk on their own, but then they also come together in a group and share risk collectively, therefore giving them the law of large numbers and giving them the ability to negotiate a much better deal for their purchase of their healthcare and insurance benefits. So what you're saying is, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, so Captivated Health really is this mechanism for these captive providers. And basically what you're doing is taking organizations that are similar, bringing them together to provide scale, buying power in order to get better outcomes, better cost sharing, get better cost in general for their health coverage for their collective businesses. Is that right? Spot on, Larry. You almost sound like you know something about insurance. <laughs> well, okay, listen, I know I know enough to know enough, and I know enough not to get involved in certain things and whatnot. And that's why I know you. <laughs> <laughs> With all seriousness, essentially what this allows employers, because when you look at it, employers sponsor insurance for their employees, and there are about 50 million people who get their insurance to their employer in that market segment I just referenced. And so what this structure allows us to do is actually create a ecosystem that really is about the people, about you and me. When we seek healthcare and helping them get the highest quality healthcare at the lowest possible price point to be supported through their healthcare event to return hopefully to a state of health and not have to spend, you know, the rest of their life trying to pay off those bills. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a key factor. So. You mentioned it in when you were telling us how you kind of got started about your mom and dad, them having their own business. You helped them through the exit. Is that where the entrepreneurial bug originated or was it them and other things? I mean, where did that come from? Yeah, no, I think it's just innate in me. I started my first business when I was 15 years old. I started my own lawn mowing business. My father had a lot of uh, doctor friends who uh, actually like to pay pretty well. And I had a lawnmower and I had a gas can and I had sneakers. <laughs> and so I went out and got like 20 lawns and I did pretty well as a kid. You know, you could set your own, your own hours. You could, uh, you had customers that are really grateful for the good work that you did. So I would say at an early beginning, I got that bug, but certainly being in my early twenties and working with my parents and being put in places that I would have never been put in had I gone the traditional corporate America route. And I've done both corporate America, by the way, and entrepreneurial world. And, you know, what I really realized about myself, Larry, to be honest with you, is I'm, I'm really not a good employee. Right. Most entrepreneurs are not. I'm just not. I'm, <laughs> I'm unemployable. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's really where it does, but it does originate from my parents because without them introducing me to this world, I, I wouldn't have thought the way I did. It may be innate, but you obviously pick up a lot of things along the way. And I think it's also kind of ironic to some degree, maybe, maybe not, that they were healthcare, your healthcare, just you're almost in the uh, different segment within that. They were on the, I guess, more of the doctor side and the practitioner side, and you're more on the side of the patient and the employee and the consumer of the health insurance, right? Yeah, ultimately, you're exactly right. And I think one of the unique things that'll inform our conversation today and your listeners I really, and traditionally you would call me an insurance broker, right? So everybody's got a broker box in their head. So bring me in there and then let's go to the farthest, tiniest, remotest corner we can <laughs> find. That's where we live. And right. what do I mean by that? Well, you know, I have experience on the provider side, like you said, clinical. I've got experience on the payer side. That's the health insurance companies. 
and now for the last 17 years experience on the buyer, meaning employer and member side of things. So I really have a 360 degree view of how the healthcare system actually works. Right. So for our listeners that have a business, and I think based upon that 360 degree view, you can give us a great deal of perspective and understanding because you have that ability. Can you give our listeners, if I'm an employer out there and I'm in your 50 plus range of market segment, like you mentioned, what is Captivated Health all about? How does it work? What does it look like to me as an employer? What does it mean to me as an employer? And what does it mean to my employees and their health? I know I threw a lot out there at you, but I think it's all kind of interrelated and in where we're going. So can you give them some insight as to, I'm in the employer. If I call Captivated Health, what is it going to mean to me and everybody affiliated with me? So there is a lot to unpack there, but we'll take it one <laughs> item at a time. No, I, I look forward to the conversation. So the first thing is most employers in that market segment will buy what's called a fully insured healthcare plan. And what I mean by that is they are financing it by transferring 100% of the risk to the health insurance company in exchange for coverage for their employees and their family members, and ultimately not taking any risk except when that renewal comes that next year, right? Because we renew coverage once a year. In exchange for that ease of administration, if you will, right, where I'm getting a premium rate locked in for 12 months, there's no changes based on if I perform well or if I perform not so well. I wait till the renewal comes around, then I'm going to decide what I'm going to do about this line item, which by the way, this line item on every business's profit and loss statement or operating statement, depending on how you want to refer to it, is the second largest line item behind payroll. Right. It grows four to five times faster than any other because of healthcare. So it is a margin eating line item. And if you're non-for-profit, you know, no margin, no mission. If you're for-profit, less margin, unhappy shareholders. Mm -hmm. So either way, it's a challenge for businesses because it takes away resources from their core business operation. In other words, benefits are not core. That's how you use to attract and retain your employees, right? Right. So the first thing an employer has to do in that market segment we're talking about is recognize that, that this is the second largest line item, that the inflation rate on it is just not sustainable. And so what do employers do about that? Well, they take more money out of your or my paycheck right? Because I can't afford to do all that. So I'm going to share some of that burden with you. I bring you to a higher deductible plan, you know, a lot of co-pays, a lot of co-insurance. I start stripping down and watering the, the benefit down because right. again, I got to manage the line item, right? Or I trade ID cards. In other words, I go from one insurance company to the next insurance company and I run away from a large rate increase that lasts for about a year. Right. None of that's sustainable. I call that the less bad renewal process. <laughs> Right. Because that's where most people are these days. Right? Correct. Whether you're the employer or the individual looking right. at what your choices are. The right. less bad renewal. So, you're, you know, your broker typical comes out, says, well, you know, I think you'll get a 15 percent rate increase. And then the increase comes out and they you know do their thing, their profession, which is what we do and try and look for options to bring down the cost increase. And we get you to, I don't know, after negotiation, a nine percent renewal. And you're like, wow, well, that exceeded my expectation of 15. <laughs> right. But 9%, right, yeah. over historical, not today, but historical inflation is about three, right? Two and a half to three. Yeah. You're looking at a three to three X, right, on inflation. And this happens year in and year out. And so to a business owner, going back to your question, it's a compounding effect because you never start at zero at the beginning of the year. You're starting from the last place you left off from the renewal. Right. Okay. 
Which is always higher than the year before. That's correct. Just right. by, even if it's a zero, you're going to, there's still going to be inflation and profit built into sure. it. Okay. So that is the, as the premise, the question is how does the employer change that dynamic? Well, the only way you can change the dynamic is to leave that fully insured construct where the insurance company has all your data and in exchange, they take the risk and give you a guaranteed rate for a year. Right. Right. Okay. So then you say, okay, well, what does it mean to move away from that structure? You move to what's called a partial self-insured financing structure, where you're actually taking the liability on or the risk on of insuring the claims, health claims generated by the people that you cover. But you're not doing this without insurance. You, you right. do. That's why it's called partial self-insurance, because you're using a form of stop-loss insurance or reinsurance, right? There are two forms of it called specific reinsurance and aggregate reinsurance. Specific is a limit of liability over each person and aggregate is a limit of liability for the entire company. So you're not truly flying uninsured. You're flying with a level of risk associated with how's your group going to perform. So when a group moves from that fully insured construct to the self-insured construct, they now have become the insurance company. Okay. So what does that mean? That sounds pretty scary. I don't want to be my own insurance company. No, no, you, you do. And then right. essentially what you're doing is you become the plan sponsor and you are now sponsoring an employee benefit plan on behalf of your people. Similar to a 401k, like exactly. your plan sponsor on your corporate retirement plan, very similar in nature, right? That's correct. Right. But this part of the financing structure is governed by ERISA, right? Versus mm-hmm. the Affordable Care Act. So what does that mean? That means you have a lot more freedom and flexibility to design what your plan looks like, what it covers, what it doesn't cover, the limits of liability. You have full control and even better, you get all your data. Okay. So he who has the data wins. Why? Because an employer naturally will say, well, geez, I think my population is pretty healthy. Well, a lot of most employers I talk to, Larry, almost every client I have, it's amazing. My people are healthy. How can this possibly be? Well, they don't know. But in their defense, there's really no way for them to know one way or another whether their employee population is or is not healthy, right? Because they don't get that data. No, they don't. They might get it in the aggregate, but they're not getting it at a, not at a person by person level, but a deeper dive to help them understand what is actually going on with my people. Right. You know, and how can I help get them the right services and resources so that they can actually become healthier? And we can actually have more productive, happy people that we pay less to insure. Right. Like, for example, you could be paying for a network that people aren't even using. Correct. But you think they might use it, (laughs) but they're not. Because you don't know. You're like, I'm just going to try and cover every base. So it's an extremely inefficient way Mm -hmm. and costly way to run any type of structure, if you really think about it. Right. Okay. So. What does an employer get in a captive structure like what we have with Captivated Health? And why even a captive structure? Because I just told you about partial self-insurance, but I didn't talk to you about a form of partial self-insurance called captive structures. Captives have been around since the 1950s. They've been used traditionally to reinsure professional liability, property and casualty, those types of risks. Only in the last 17, 18 years have they been used to reinsure the risk of healthcare plans. Okay, so why is that important? Well, if you think about it, groups that are in that 50 to 500 market segment, right? They are not what actuaries call credible. In other words, the healthcare claims generated by those people, right? is so random, like a 50 person group, all it takes is one or two people who have a really bad health condition to throw out the calculation. Exactly. 
So what that creates is more volatility, right? In those smaller groups, which reinsurers don't like. No insurers right. like volatility. They so like what, certainty. Right. So what they do is they get overly conservative because of that volatility because, and rightfully so, they're like, well, wait a minute, we have a couple large claims here. These people will never pay enough premium to pay us back for that exposure, right? So what a captive allows unrelated organizations to do is to partially self-insure on their own. And then through a set of contracts, they're able to share risk with each other as well. And they're able to do it in an area of exposure to all of them that is volatile. And by using that structure, I actually liken this to a volatility shock absorber, mm -hmm. right? So if imagery, if you can imagine throwing a pebble through a body of water, when the pebble pierces the body of water, what happens to the energy? It's rippled across the pond, right? Across right. the body of water. That's how this structure works is so that when a large claim happens, the organization is not completely hit by it. They have a big portion of it to pay, but then they also mitigate that by spreading that risk over the entire community of other employers who are also sharing risk and who are also in a non-credible market segment. Therefore, we don't know who the winners and losers are going to be. They don't know who the winners and losers are going to be, but they all know once at every four or five or five or six years, they're going to have a bad year. Right. That's the way it works. The question is, will they all have it independently or will it be together? And most years it works out where they're able to help one another. In other words, one guy who thought he was going to be running not so good, ran good. Another guy thought he was going to run well, didn't run so well. And so they come into this community with a shared goal of mitigating those challenging years and then being able to put money away. Here's the best part. What you ultimately do by moving into this structure is you take your benefits line, specifically health insurance, and you bring it off the P&L into the balance sheet. So you've basically got a fund of money that you're keeping in your balance sheet. And as claims are being paid, right, you're drawing down that account. But when claims are not paid because you're helping your people get higher quality care at a lower price, every dollar you don't spend out of what we tell you to set aside, right. you get to keep it in your balance sheet, in your bank account. Right. Plus, you get to keep that before. Later, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guess who used to keep that before? The insurance, the health insurance company. company. That's correct. So, so how does this help the employee then? What are the benefits to the employee? Am I going to see improvement in my coverage or my health situation because of this as well? Yeah. So at the employee level, if it's built correctly, and our program, I believe, is built correctly because of the four principles that it's built around. The first principle is members first. Everything in our program is about if, Larry, if you and I are a member of this plan, would we want that benefit tool or service? And if the answer is no, we're not going to put it in there, even if it means more effectively managing risk. You know why? Because the people don't want it. Right. Okay. So we stay away from that. Second item is consumerism. The literacy rate, healthcare literacy rate in this country is 14%, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation. What that means is nine out of 10 people have no idea how to speak the language of healthcare. Right. Okay, so we teach them how to speak the language of healthcare, understand through a health savings account, right? So here's the benefit for you as an employee or a member. Your employer sets aside a health savings account and funds it for you. Not 100%, but a good contribution. 50% of the deductible is typical for most employers to pick. Well, as you do the things that the plan asks you to do, there's actually a reward mechanism that says, Larry, you were a good doobie today. You made a really good decision and we're going to drop $200 in your health savings account. So let me give you a real example. Sure. Your doctor tells you, you hurt your shoulder. Your doctor tells you, you got to get an MRI. So he sends you off to the hospital-based facility because that's what he knows. He must tell me where he has a relationship. 
Right. Well, you call the service, you have a tap and swipe on the mobile app that we provide, or you talk to a live person at the concierge available 24-7, 365, and say, my doctor told me to go to XYZ hospital-based setting to get my MRI. Larry, how far are you willing to drive? Well, I'll drive 25 miles. Okay. Did you know there's a place down the road, an outpatient facility that charges one-eighth of the cost? One-eighth. Wow. wow. So instead of 4000 500 bucks. Yeah. Would you like to take advantage of that? Well, yeah, sure. How? Well, I'm actually a nurse. I can call and make your appointment and I'll cancel your old appointment. And then, by the way, it gets better. Your employer is going to drop $200 in your health savings account for making this election. They are? Why? Because, Larry, they're recognizing that you had to take an extra step. You had to be a cost-conscious and quality-conscious consumer. And they want to share some of that savings with you. Wow. Well, why wouldn't I do this? I don't know, Larry, but what's, what's <laughs> principle number one? Right. You're the member. You're in control. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. And you won't get the 200 bucks. No. And you'll spend, you'll wipe out your health savings account. Right. And your employer will pay the balance of the bill because that's the agreement you made with them. But the important part, the important part of that is it's your choice to make. Right. Third principle is a culture of health and well-being, which we look at through five elements, physical, financial, workplace, community, and mind and spirit. So actually working with the employer to enhance the culture of that particular organization. Fourth and probably most notable principle is self-governance. The way this program works is the community. And when I say community, we have a community of schools, right? We have a community of engineering firms, and we can set this up for any like-minded organizations that wanted to establish their own program. But self-governance, where they elect their own chair and vice chair, where they have committees, finance, membership, engagement, and governance, and they elect people to serve on those. So essentially what we are is the Intel chip inside. This is your right. risk. These are your people. Our job is to be your Sherpa and navigate you through the healthcare purchasing process so the employee can get the highest quality care at the lowest possible price point. And you ask me the question, can they enhance their benefits? I'll tell you another anecdote, actually a real story. The CFO of one of our schools <clears throat> every year these are private independent schools, right? Right. And they're in seven states right now and growing in different states. But we had a CFO who called me four years into the program. He's like, Mark, my auditors just left. He goes, you know, I'm like, okay, John, this is not starting out. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 my auditors just left. He goes, it's a good conversation. I need your help. I'm like, okay. He goes, so they told me I'm over-reserved in my healthcare reserve account. Okay. I'm like, can you repeat that one more time? <laughs> He's like, I have too much money sitting in an account. I have to spend some of it. And so we laughed about that. I'm like, right. when's that kind of a conversation we used to never. have, John? He's like, never. But now we do, Mark. He's like, so I need your help. I'm like, okay. He goes, what do you think I can do? I'm like, all right, well, how about if you decrease the amount of money you're taking out of people's paychecks? Because that's the first thing they look at is what are you taking out of my paycheck to have this right. plan? Well, Mark, I did that last year. We did a lot. We don't want to do it again. I'm like, okay. You offer a health savings account. Could you fund more money into the HSA for your people? Nah. We did that two years ago because we really wanted to make the HSA adoption a, a good thing. He goes, you know, you're not really helping me here. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, it sounds like you've done a lot of things already, John. He's like, we have, but what else can we do? I'm like, well, you know what? We did an interest survey of your people and we found out that there was a high degree of interest in LASIK eye surgery. He's like, yeah, but LASIK's not covered by insurance. I'm like, John, you are the insurance company right. and that is an approved medical expense. He's like, it is? I'm like, the IRS says it is, so therefore it is. He goes, so could I offer that as a benefit? I'm like, yes, you can. We can amend your plan document and we can put a dollar limit in per eye and you can roll this out to your fat. Oh my God, this is amazing. amazing. I get to yeah. add benefits to my plan. That's cool. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's great. I think that the biggest challenge that you have, right, as somebody who's on the captive and knows it and all these benefits, which seem to be huge for both the employer and the employee, is the challenges that most businesses are not familiar with this structure. They're familiar with the traditional insurance route, and they never even look or think that this is possible, right? Yes. So hopefully they're listening to this, now know it's possible, and can contact you to see what really is possible beyond the construct of what their, I guess, institutionalized health plan currently gives them versus what a more independent and free, not free in cost, but free range version of a plan could be for them and their employees, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they have to have an interest in taking control of their healthcare future. And they have to want the insight that comes with the data analytics that, in other words, they understand that if I can't see it, I can't measure it. And if I can't measure it, I can't improve it. And I have to have my incentives aligned between my employees, the management team, and the overall direction of the company. When all our interests are aligned, magical things happen. Yeah, I agree. It seems like to me, you know, if you're running a business and you're running a business that has 50 to 500 employees, you definitely have a successful business of scale. And it's important to look at this just like you would any other business venture. Unfortunately, we're so used to just paying the premium, repricing it every year. And not to mention, one thing you didn't mention is you kind of don't have to go through that whole aggravating process once a year anymore because you're handling it yourself all along. So so you're still going through a renewal, but you are in control right. of what that renewal looks like. You're able to make decisions about the premium rates you set, about the benefits that you offer. You're not being dictated to by the system. You are, in fact, now controlling your future. Now, you may have a bad year, Larry. So you may sure. have a year which you didn't expect four or five people to get really sick. And you reserve for that properly to make sure it happens. So that doesn't mean it makes you any happier to look at your bank account and see less money in there. Right. here's the reality of it. Usually you're going to run well for four years and the fifth year is going to be a tough year, but the four years of running well pays for the fifth year of not running so well. Right. That is the difference with fully insured and self-insured is when you're fully insured, it's pay me later. Yeah. When is you're there self-insured, it's pay me now. Is there some level of risk that if you start out and have that bad year right out of the gate, the whole thing can really not work out well for you? No, or? we've actually had a number, a couple of schools, I shouldn't say a number, but a couple of schools who started with us and really had their bad year the first year they came into the plan. Now, fortunately, they were reserved properly because you can't enter into this type of arrangement without being a well-funded business. In other words, right. you can't escape cash flow challenges by moving in this direction. We would Never recommend it to a company who's struggling by, you know, financially. To you be have viable. to be well capitalized. To you got to be viable. Exactly. Yeah. You have to be able to take the risk, right? Because really it's a question of risk tolerance, number one, and then suitability to take that risk. So you might have a high degree of tolerance to take risk, but then we look at all the other factors and we say, Larry, you are not suitable to be self-insured, right? That's yeah. part of what you rely on your advisor to do is to be honest with you about where you are and then say, it's not time to move yet. But in fact, sometimes it does happen where we guess wrong or you Mm -hmm. guess wrong or you hire somebody. We didn't expect you to hire somebody who's got significant health issues. You don't know because that's not how people hire, nor should they, Right. right? But at the end of the day, you get that really tough claim that really throws your plan into a challenging year. But again, remember with self insurance, the best part about it is one year is limited to one year. Right. And then you start over at zero the next plan year. 
This is true. So is there a specific mindset needed for a business owner or C-suite executive who's making these decisions and evaluations to embrace what you do and what Captivate does? Yeah, I think the mindset, and we actually call it our ideal mindset scorecard when we're looking at groups who are thinking about moving in this direction. The first is you have to have an entrepreneurial mindset. In other words, you're comfortable taking risk and you understand that there are things you can do to mitigate that risk but you're comfortable in that position of taking that risk, right? The second thing you need to do is you really need to embrace being tired of the status quo. And I'm amazed actually of how many organizations that I've run into or spoken to where you tell them about this, but then they perceive a high level of work landing on their plate. right? And then they move away from it because they're like, I don't have time. That's going to be a headache. It's a language I don't want to learn. And I look at that and I say, okay, so you'd rather sit in the position of not knowing to have somebody else dictate your future to you and then go about, I don't know, dealing with the less bad renewal every year and then find other areas in your business to squeeze out efficiency in. So the second thing an employer needs to have is really a frustration with the status quo. A third thing they need to have is really a pension on consumerism. In other words, a commitment right. to consumerism, health, and well-being. So you have to be committed to understand that your culture trumps any strategy you have. That's not my quote. That's a quote by many other people. Right. But at the end of the day, it's about how do I create the right environment for my people to feel supported, for my people to deal with the healthcare and benefits issues that they have, and then ultimately for me to help guide them down that path. So in other words, they look at their employees as people they can take in together as partners, as opposed to this is something I just have to do. I'm not really invested in it all that much. You know, I look at it more as a nu- nuisance and I look at it as a way to really transform the culture of my company. Yeah, and that's not going to work when you're trying to work with your employees to make decisions that are going to be good for them health-wise, but also financially beneficial to both you and to them. You have to have that culture and that buy-in from them. Otherwise, I don't see it working very well. That's the whole construct with our Captivated Health community is it's a win-win-win. We align incentives at the employee and member level. We align them at the management level inside the company, and then they're aligned with all the service providers that are ultimately providing this experience, right, for the business that ultimately is buying that program or that product. That's great. And I really liked what you said about how you translate this or transform it from a line item expense to an entry on the balance sheet, right? Yes. And then your example of that CFO that you mentioned, it's a great way to show that that is outlines it, right? It's no longer an expense. It's something on the balance sheet. We've had success over the last couple of years. Over the last few years, we've given our employees more money, right? So they have more money in their HSA. We've reduced their out-of-pocket costs. And now we're looking for other ways because we have so much money that we're looking to deploy it in other ways to benefit them and deploy that money. And I think that's really a true representation of that partnership and that ability to transform it from an expense to a balance sheet item that is meaningful to the business and the employees. Because most companies are just looking like we started out in our conversation. It's just a huge nuisance and a huge expense at the same time, right? Right. And one that the CFO typically looks in light items and basically puts a 10 to 15% marker in every year. Their broker advisor, if they're a traditional broker advisor, maybe just looking at how do I talk the insurance company down from 15 to 10% and I've done a great job for you. But for us, it doesn't go far enough because the reality is there is so much inefficiency 
built into the system. And that inefficiency is costly to businesses because when you're taking money away, that should be diverted into the operations of the business. You're doing the business a disservice. The system's happy because the system gets fed. (laughs) But the employer who's sponsoring this and the employees who are taking advantage of this are the ones that are holding the short end of 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 the agreement. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, we've talked a lot about a lot of the inefficiencies, ineffectivenesses of what I'll call traditional insurance, right? I mean, do you see healthcare changing in the future at all? I mean, we've heard for years that we need an overhaul. We had the ACA come in. We could debate all day long whether that was good, bad, or indifferent, and probably still not come to a resolution on that. But in your view, do you see any major changes in the future? Will we see a, a major improvement in care and costs? Yes. Or no? Yes, because of technology. One of the things that I love about the role I play in our firm is our I'm focused on innovation. I'm always looking three, four, five years down the road. And my business partner, Jennifer, and I invest a lot of time thinking about things, not today, but in the future. Where are we going? So if you look at technology, the things that are happening in technology are now going to help us move away from sick care to health care. And so what do I mean by that? We're all going to have, you have to actually have the ability to do it today. You can wear a device on your wrist. It measures you know, how well you sleep. It measures your, your glucose uh, level in your blood, measures your blood pressure. I mean, anything and everything you want to know about your body could be available to you. Okay. So what does that mean going forward? Well, we've actually, because we've mapped the human genome, they're actually able to now go in and adjust genes. I actually heard a presentation last week. The average person uh, being born today will live to 100 years old, like wow. no problem, yeah. zero problem. And those of us- You want to be healthy though to 100 years <laughs> well, that, age. So it's a quality Living to life. 100 isn't so great if you don't have that health behind it, right? True enough. Uh, true enough. That's why we say our tagline is the greatest wealth is health, right? Because right. the reality is without it, you don't have anything. You're right. I guess my point where I was going with that is that if we're able to help you understand what you're predisposed to, like genetically, 30 to 40% of your life expectancy- is on your genetics, right? but that means 60 to 70% of it is lifestyle. You might be thinking you're eating healthy, but you're not because of the way your body chemistry works. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to understand that, you're able to get a report that shares with you, here are your areas of concern, and you're able to deal with those things long before they show up. So you're predisposed to prostate cancer, you're predisposed to lung cancer, and you're able to make modifications and those predetermined paths that your body was going to take, that's where I think the answer to the question comes in. We're going to be able to replace things so they can grow organs. It's absolutely amazing. All this is going to have an effect, maybe unintended or intended consequence on the whole life insurance industry. Yes. That's a whole different issue, right? (laughs) Both living longer and knowing about all these things that potentially may be wrong has consequences on that side of the equation as well. So And outliving your wealth, right? So or your money right. that you've set aside. That's the other there are a whole I agree with you. There are a whole host of things, but the answer to your question, do I see healthcare changing? I do because I see the system being less and less important and I see the people being more and more important. Do you see the institutionalized companies now changing their construct in anticipation of this? They're trying or- to. Oh, they are. They are. They're, well, they are. some of them are, right? So what are I mean by that- Are they too big though to really turn that ship? Exactly. So one area I was going to point to as an example is the hospital systems, right? In every, every major metropolitan area, hospital systems control the supply of healthcare to you and me. 
They own physician practices out in the suburbs. They don't just own them in the cities. They right. sprawl, right? And mm -hmm. when they do that, they control the access to healthcare. Well, my state, I live in Massachusetts, and I don't know if you know this, but our, of our top 25 employers in the state, guess who the top 10 are? Healthcare providers. Hospital systems. Yeah. Okay. So politically, what does that mean? Politically, that means every time I touch healthcare and I squeeze it because I want it to be more efficient, I'm disrupting labor. Right. Okay. That's a problem politically. Mm -hmm. That said, there are people who we're talking to today, employers who are paying that bill. And I call it OPM, other people's money. And when you run out of OPM, you got a big problem. So what we see right now with with that's one rulemaking body, if you will, is the insurance. Well, plus system. those top 10 employers that you mentioned, they're servicing the employers that are actually footing those bills or so are 10, 100 times the size of them in terms of the labor force, right? That's correct. That's correct. And the problem with healthcare today, and this is going to change now because a law was passed, the last administration, say anything you want to about them. The reality is one thing they did in healthcare was pass legislation to make healthcare price transparent. So over the next four to five years, we're going to see this roll out and the system is fighting it big time. But the reality is it's codified in law and it's been challenged at every level except the Supreme Court, but it survived every other challenge. What does that mean? Well, today, when you look at healthcare, there is no correlation between price and quality. <laughs> People say to me, Mark, what does that mean? If I buy a better car, it costs more. If I buy a better house, it costs more. If I buy a, go to a better school, it costs more. I'm like, yeah, why? Because you can see all those things. But in healthcare, tell me the last time you knew how much you're going to pay before you went to go get it. Wow. Never, Mark. Right. I get a bill afterwards at home. And then I'm always shocked at what the bill is. I'm like, right, how about this? Did you even know the quality of the provider you went to? Well, no, but my neighbor said he's a good guy. Right. So let me get this straight. The last time you went and bought a refrigerator, you knew more about the quality of that refrigerator you bought than the quality of the provider who's getting ready to touch your body, which is, you know, as we just said, the most important thing you have. And right. secondarily, you don't know the price of it. I mean, my doctor laughs when I come in because I ask him every year. He just rolls his eyes at me now. I'm like, doc, how much is this going to cost me today? <laughs> He's like, well, Mark, it you know, I don't know the answer to that. I'm like, well, why not? He goes, I work with 30 insurance companies. I'm like, yeah, but if the guy next to me is getting the same thing done I'm getting, then we both should know the price. He's like, no, 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 because you have a blue card and he has a red card. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, it depends on the contract negotiated. I'm like, okay, that is not okay. Right, right. But no one knows this, Larry, yeah. because it's been opaque forever. Well, guess what? That's now going to change. And when people see the variation in price for the same type of service that they receive, they're going to get really upset about that. Yeah, I think you can combine that with the technology and the ability to do that, and that's going to have to affect change, whether it's going to be with our institutions that exist today or some new provider coming out of the woodwork with something new. Because I just think that those ships, as I mentioned, are just so hard to turn. You have a 20-foot boat, it's easy to turn around back in the same direction you were coming from very easy. Once you get to those 500-foot boats, it's so much more difficult to turn that ship. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. You're right about that. And I would say that if the system were serving the people the way it should, there was no reason for us to develop captivated health. Right. And we're only one example of all <laughs> kinds of innovation that's existing in the market. Because if the system were serving the constituents, serving the people well, then you just you feed the system because sure. the system's doing the right thing. I don't believe anybody in these entities I mentioned are evil. I don't believe, right. I think they're good people. 
but they're in a construct that sets the wrong incentives. I agree. I agree. So listen, as a leader in the healthcare space, right? How do you manage to deal with constant change? I mean, there's constant change to providers, there's constant change to legislation, laws, et cetera. How do you deal with that? It's exhausting, (laughs) but it's a labor of love. Right. So how we deal with that is I'll just speak to my organization, our organization. We've assembled, we have 70 employees and we've assembled a team of what I call benefit superheroes. These people go deep and wide in their area of expertise. So what do I mean by that? As an example, our, the leader of our compliance practice, she is an extremely bright woman. She uh, applied to Harvard to see if she could get in, but had no intention of going there. She went to Case Western instead because it had a better law program for her. That's an example. Okay. Yeah. The guy who runs our health and well-being practice was a former Marine, and uh, he helped build the White House fitness facility in 1999. So I'm just giving you a couple examples of the types of people we look to hire. And why is that important? Because change is really, really exponential today. And it used to be in my role that I could manage that change on, you know, not on my own, but a large degree of it by myself. I could synthesize all that data. There's too much now. You can, right. So you need to have experts in disciplines. So what we've done is we've formed 11 disciplines. We, have, we call them centers of excellence. And we go deep and wide in every area of expertise related to running a benefits plan. And so I don't need to know everything about compliance because I have a compliance director who's amazing at it. You don't need to know everything about underwriting because we have a guy who runs our underwriting and risk management practice who reads the Federal Register for fun. Mm -hmm. These are people who are very smart, but they're also common sense and they're also passionate about what they do. So staying on top of it, there are resources. So I'm the legislative chair for the National Association of Health Underwriters. So any brokers or consultants that are out there, if you're not a member of NEHU, a lot of good resources. And there are other uh, organizations like that, Larry, that can really help people. But I guess what I would encourage every employer to do to the extent they don't have one is make sure you have a good advisor who, not as a broker, they're not selling you product. Right. Anyone can sell you a product, but someone who will actually listen to you understand your vision for your company, for your future, help you eliminate your dangers, help you seize your opportunities and help you maximize on your strengths and then help you guide you to your future. If you can work with an advisor like that, then you'll have an organization that actually is doing right by its employees and doing rights by its shareholders. I agree with you 100%. That's why we're a fiduciary advisor. We're not getting paid to sell product very similarly. And I encourage those business owners that fit that 50 to 500 range to, if you don't have an advisor, contact one or contact Mark, see if they can help you out. You want somebody who can act in that advisory capacity that always has your best interest in heart, not that of potentially a sale or or an insurance company. So can you tell us about your charitable inclinations? We'll take a shift for a second and passions around having an attitude of gratitude. Sure. Uh, my business partner and I actually make this a core part of who we are. We're very uh, community focused, giving back to the communities that we serve. We actually have a, a charitable giving committee of a cross section of our employees in our company. And we do at least one charitable event a month. So one that we have coming up now is Thanksgiving dinners for 40 families who don't have the ability to go out and buy their own Thanksgiving fixings, as an example. We did backpacks for kids in September and so things like that. We also authored two books many, many years ago uh, called Inspire to Act and Inspire to Act for Kids. And this is actually born out of 
our holiday party. Uh, we used to have a holiday party back when we, we still do, but back nice. when we had 20 people, it was a little bit easier to manage. <laughs> About a week or two before our holiday party, we decided we were going to spruce things up. So we gave each employee a $100 bill with a letter of instruction. And we asked them to go out to the community and do a random act or acts of kindness. And the only requirement was they had to bring it back to the holiday party and tell everybody what they did with the money. I love that. Just to share the stories. Uh, so yeah. the books that we wrote are over a hundred short stories because we didn't just do it about money. Some years it was acts of service. Like we, we all went to YMCA summer camp and cleaned up the entire, uh, the entire grounds as an example. So it doesn't just have to be about money, but yeah, the idea stuff. was that, you know, and there are some tear jerking stories where people go into the hospital emergency room and pay somebody's copay who couldn't afford to pay it. I mean, you, you know, you're making a huge difference in someone's life. Sure. Then what we did is we just said, you know what? Gratitude is not something you're born with. You have to be taught the habit of gratitude and the thinking of gratitude. So we actually said, let's do that at a young age and write a book for six to 16 year olds. And so we did that. It could be saying please and thank you, you know, doing the dishes, carrying out the trash for your parents, you know, holding mm -hmm. the door open for somebody. It doesn't need to be monetary. It just needs to be about being grateful and being courteous and respectful. And these are things that I think any parent, you know, any value that, or principle that a parent would want to wrap their arms around. So I guess the long answer to your question is we're very dedicated to making a difference in the lives of people, both our clients, but also the communities that we serve. It's also why we do a lot of volunteer work. My partner is the uh, chair of the Northern Essex Community College. I work at the pleasure of the governor and our connector board. And our people are, are volunteering in all kinds of, of different organizations because it's a part of the fabric of who we are. Right. That's great. I, I love that. And I love that $100 bill. I'm definitely going to take that as a takeaway. Please and, do. Uh, Pay it forward, Larry. See how we can implement that. So what are the next big things for Mark and Captivate Health? So the next big thing for us is now scaling nationally. We launched the program in 2014. We now have uh, 27 schools and three engineering firms and 10,000 people covered on the plan. And we've built a, a solid infrastructure. We, we have an amazing team. And now we're just broadening our message out to the market to try and attract those that think like we do, that are interested. And when I say think like we do, they're interested in taking control of their future. They're interested in using insightful data analytics to get ahead of things that are coming at their people that they don't even see, that they're interested in creating a better construct for their people and for their family members. So for us, it's taking it to multiple markets. We're in seven states now, uh, organizations headquartered in seven states. And we would like, we just brought on a new state, another school in another state last week. So we're looking at getting the message out to as many people as possible. As I mentioned to you, 50 million people across this country, right? right? We have 10,000 members. So that's a lot of work. All right. <laughs> we'll be watching. We'll be watching. Thank so you. Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on, and we end every show by asking each of our guests the same question, and we talked a lot about mindset and gratitude and charity, which is great, but we want to know, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Today, what I did for joy is my son is 24 years old. He's a aspiring entrepreneur. I'm sure that's not surprising <laughs> given what we just talked must about. Must be in his DNA from yeah, several I think generations. It is. <laughs> I, guess, I, I think know. so, Larry. <laughs> so my son is starting out his own business. He needed me to be somewhere this morning at eight o'clock with him. And I went with him. I had to move some things around to be there for him, but I was able to do that and be there for him. And, uh, you know, one of the silver linings of COVID is I've been home more right? and he's been able to listen to me. He's been able to watch me. He's been able to bounce things off of me. And so what I did this morning was help him out. 
And by helping him out and seeing his immense gratitude for that, I, I mean, no matter what happens for the rest of the day, I feel Amazing. like I've, I've made a major contribution. So I have some hope that my 18-year-old son and my 15-year-old son at some point in the future will actually believe what I'm saying and, and well, think I, I know what I'm that talking far, about. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Uh, you know? Come on, I'm still <laughs> remaining optimistic. You can remain optimistic. I am too. You know, we, we call it unrealistic optimism. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll, we'll maintain that. So, Mark, listen, it's been a pleasure having you on. If people want to find you, we'll have all your information in the show notes, but what's the easiest and best way for them to learn more and find out more about Mark Gagne, Gagne, and Captivate Health. So the best way to reach me would be at my email address. That's Mark, M-A-R-K, at Borislow, B-O-R-I-S-L-O-W.com. Or you can go to our website, www.borislow.com, or even www.captivatedhealth.com, spelled like it sounds. Great, Mark. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for all these great nuggets and make it a great day. Thank you, Larry. You do the same. I want to thank Mark Gagne for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Mark has taken his entrepreneurial upbringing and used it as fuel to create a company that is on the leading edge of healthcare. Business owners and corporate executives constantly struggle with the cost of healthcare, and there are ways to reduce their costs and improve outcomes too. It sounds like a win-win to me. Mark can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.